Hello, dreamers. Welcome back to the show. If this is your first time watching or listening, welcome. Hit subscribe on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at livingthedream506. Share it. Tell your friends about it. All that good stuff. Everything helps. So thanks, at the very least, for just being here. My guest today is the one and only Ilan Rubin. He is the drummer for Nine Inch Nails, Angels and Airwaves, and you might also know him as The New Regime, his solo project in which he plays all instruments in studio and plays guitar for live performances. In 2020, as a member of Nine Inch Nails, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as the youngest living inductee in history. Fun fact, he is the first Rock Hall inductee to be born in the 1980s. This episode also features a special guest co-host. He is our music slash gear expert and one of my best friends since the day I set foot on this planet, Mr. Ryan Kinney. He and I have both been huge Nine Inch Nails fans since the early 90s when we got all their CDs from Columbia House for a penny, like The Downward Spiral, Broken, Pretty Hate Machine, and don't forget the Lost Highway soundtrack. Classics! We've seen Nine Inch Nails together twice, first in Toronto in 2008, then Montreal in 2013, so this episode was a lot of fun for both of us. Hope you guys like it. Please welcome Mr. Ilan Rubin. So first off, thank you so much for doing this. It's it's an honor to talk to you and meet you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And uh, congrats on the Hall of Fame nod. Thank you very much. Super cool. Appreciate it. Um, so to kick off, uh, might as well start with the new Regime album, Heart, Mind, Body, and Soul. Uh, sure. So first, first off, your solo project, The New Regime. First, I want to say I've had it on repeat all week, um, listening to it with my son. He's 10 and he is in love with the title track and he hasn't stopped oh, singing it. So oh, good. That's, that's great to hear. Thank you. <laughs> we'll be sitting or like driving to school and I'll hear him in the back. And he's like, he's just like singing it to himself all day. So it's pretty cool. I love that. Yeah, well, there. So that explains the new um, bump in the ten-year-old demographic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're getting those metrics. Yeah, got to start them young. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, album. It, anytime I think of the album, like, it kind of bums me out because I, I think it's great. I'm extremely proud of it, but it came out in March of last year, like two weeks before the world stopped. So you know, what can you do? It's. Uh, something unprecedented in our times but i just can't help but feel like the lead up to that whole thing was kind of just robbed and rug was pulled out from under my feet but you know the music is still there i'm still very proud of it but it's just kind of this this odd time where things are getting back to normal but 
touring hasn't really started yet, although hopefully soon. And time is time. So the album came out a year ago, but it just feels like this sort of purgatory or this black hole of a year where I've I've remained very busy and productive doing other things. But obviously when you put all this effort into writing and recording an album, that's kind of like phase one. You're supposed to go out and tour it and support it and do everything you can to grow it. But that stopped about a week and a half into a tour and it was shut down, drive home and see what happens. And, you know, in hindsight, it was hopefully we'll get back out by July. And then we all know the rest of that story. So, yeah. So it's almost like you have unfinished business on it with it. Really? Like you, you haven't got to really celebrate it. Yeah. I definitely feel that way in terms of unfinished business, but people are so fickle where it's like, they want something new. And even though it is new, it says 2020. It doesn't say 2021 on it. So it seems potentially less interesting. So it's very, very silly. But nonetheless, I'm very proud of it. And I do think it's a great album. So I'm glad you guys have been enjoying it as well. Yeah. How, how many shows did you get in before you got shut down? I mean, it was less than two weeks worth for sure. We were out supporting... Silver Sun Pickups. Nice. Crowd was super receptive to us, which was nice. You know, it's it's not an easy, it's not an easy task opening up or supporting bands because you, especially the more sort of rabid a fan base, the less they care about anybody other than the band they came to see, and you never know what to expect there. So, it went really well, and that's also kind of a punch in the gut where it was. It wasn't like, oh, this tour kind of isn't going our way and, ah, we got to cut it short. It far exceeded my expectations in terms of crowd response and whatnot. But, yeah, I'd say about a week and a half, definitely less than two weeks. And uh, we pulled it to Knoxville, Tennessee, realized that nobody was loading in, and I was like, that's not good. (laughs) So drove straight across to the West Coast without stopping and haven't left since. Nice. Yeah, Ryan was wondering about the new album. I'll, I'll let him ask you a question here. Hit me, Ryan. Yeah, I, sure, man. I uh, I heard you like talk previously um, on some interviews about like your basically your recording process with mm. with your new album. Like you basically took um, some effects pedals and a Pelican case into the studio. And I was just kind of curious, like yeah, like what what are some of your your favorite pedals maybe right now, and like what are some staples that you use to create and write and record with, I guess. Okay. Well, I, I definitely have some go-tos and for those who may not know, I mean, the reason why I only took a small Pelican worth of pedals with me to the recording of this album was because it was recorded at a fantastic residential studio outside of El Paso called Sonic Ranch. And they have all the gear in the world, Uh, recording gear, instruments, effects, amps, anything you could possibly want. So I really wanted to utilize everything that was there and most things that weren't mine. Because obviously, when you own something, you kind of turn it inside out and you find what it's best at and you kind of fall into habits, which is fine. But I really wanted to enjoy, just as a musician, playing guitars that I'd never played, basses that I'd never played, amps that I'd never played through. So I really wanted to enjoy that part of the experience as much as possible. Because aside from the actual playing... 
it was a complete battle against the schedule because I pretty much time-wise budgeted doing about a song and a half a day so that I could get everything done and leave like a half day's worth to kind of go over everything and tear down the equipment and go back to, at that time, San Diego or LA. Time's, time's a bit blurry to me right now. But anyway, <laughs> to answer your question in terms of staples, I do have a few fuzz favorites in particular. Overdrive, just anything with <clears throat> real character that can't really be duplicated. So Fender Blender is a favorite pedal of mine. And although you have things that kind of get that upper octave harmonic thing going on, I just love that pedal in particular. And um, is, that a, is that an old Fender Blender, like one of the, the no, classic ones? it's a reissue. Reissue? Okay, I was like, holy. <laughs> I probably had it for about 10 years or so, but it's always been a favorite of mine. I, I love that pedal. Uh, there's one by Jex Tellis called the um, the White Pedal, which is a model of this distortion slash fuzz unit that was in solid state Vox amps around the time of Sgt. Pepper and Magical Mystery Tour. So a lot of those sounds were built into that amp. So that's an example of a very unique circuit that you're not going to find anywhere. So I took that with me. Prunes and Custard is another great pedal that does its own thing. And I could go on and on and on and on, but oh, yeah. those are the I don't, I don't, I don't mind. <laughs> well, those are the types of things that I take with me. And then, uh, oddly enough, the Boss RE20 Space Echo pedal is. Oh, that's so good! That's such an underrated pedal. Absolutely, it's possibly my favorite pedal of all time, especially not in the fuzz realm because I have yeah. way too much fuzz and dirt boxes, if you will, but. I love that pedal, and this is coming from somebody who owns uh, a real an actual Roland, probably <laughs> and the five hundred one. But the pedals do their own thing. They're obviously very similar, but it's a fantastic sound, and I've come to use it in a way where I really drive it on the way in, so that the reverb on the way out sounds really dirty. And I right. use it for kind of orchestrating some guitar pads where I'll take say a triad or some kind of chord and I will double track each note and then do the same thing an octave up, maybe an octave down. And it makes this really nice ethereal sounding pad, but it's all single note guitars that right. bring it to. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's uh, I agree with you on that. The boss space echo, it's a, an amazing pedal that isn't a, a full unit, right? It's, it's super yeah. awesome. Yeah. Cool. Th there comes a point where, for the purists out there, I, I tip my hat to you, but reliability, in my opinion, is a priceless thing, especially when you need to use something. There's nothing I hate more than being like, oh, now's my opportunity to use that thing that I bought. And I yeah. go to use it, and it doesn't work, or it's too noisy. or And I don't mind noise, but I'm I'm talking about scenarios with vintage synths or other amps that it's just unusable and it's well, kind of uh, like a and especially you know, when if you're going to tour with it right like you're, you're going to take oh, it yeah. out on the road like you're not I, gonna I go, you're not gonna bring a tape machine yeah no i i go is is bulletproof is humanly possible and probably by the next time i go out for the sake of reliability and consistency i'll probably go full-on fractal i'll still have a cabinet on stage to just put air and, and yeah actually feel volume 
But pretty much what I've had, aside from my my trusty Les Paul, is I was using two Fender Supersonics. They're built like tanks, and they're readily available. And I had a fractal. Were those the were those the, the twenty two watts, or were those the, the old sixty watts? Twenty two watts. The twenty two. Oh, right on. Cool. You know, I wasn't a big fan of the sixty watts, to be honest with you. But what I really liked about the twenty two watts is that they kind of treated it like two amps in one. So the clean side of it, it which is all that I used, was supposedly a deluxe reverb circuit with a little mid bump right. switch. So I ran the amps completely clean and would get all the dirt from a fractal FX eight, which was just all the effects in a floorboard. So having been in situations where I step on a pedal and sound stops rather than doing <laughs> yeah. or just stepping on a cable and breaking it inside of the pedal. I'm like, I got to all these patch cables and ins and outs are just a breeding ground for disaster. And considering everything's at my feet and for the longest time, I didn't have somebody watching my back in terms of tech or something. I mean, that last tour was a real luxury having a friend of mine out, Justin Sweet. He also texts for Angels and Airwaves. But just having somebody watch out for any sort of technical issues was a, a real luxury. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that that definitely would be. Mm. Now, cool. that being said, on tour, how were the songs translating? Like, you got all these effects and all this tech in studio how how did you feel with the live presentation really good to be honest with you and what i've always enjoyed about bringing the songs to life on stage is that it really becomes more about communicating what the song is about in terms of vibe as opposed to trying to recreate every single texture I mean, that really is a losing battle unless you want to rely entirely on playback. Now, I use playback for things that would just be impossible to replicate live. I mean, especially if you're talking about synth basses, sequences, uh, synth pads. I mean, we're talking about who knows how many keyboards, modules, and plugins worth of stuff that nobody is just going to take out live ever. I mean, it would be a colossal waste of resources so that is an element but in terms of the human beings playing on stage it has kind of turned into a power trio of sorts so it's a good blend of the raw energy but still bringing across that element of the new regime that is somewhat planted in an electronic realm so it's it works out really well yeah. When you're playing it live, like I, I've read and heard you talk about how you enjoy albums as a whole. When you play it live, do you try to play it track for track, end to end, to, like as a story? No, I don't. I, When it comes to the live show for me, it's about how to maintain the momentum while still having ups and downs. Because the last thing that you want to do, in my opinion, is get to the you know, come out swinging and then come to the middle of the set and people are like, eh, okay. And, and then, and then you end on top, you know, it's like, you got to find a way to keep that momentum while still going up and down consistently. So that's what it's about to me. And what happens 
with I would say most bands is you kind of find groups of songs that work together really well in in sort of two three maybe four song chunks where like the coming out of this one into that one feels awesome by the time I'm starting to feel like this might be too much of one vibe this one really kicks it off in another direction and you kind of just have to analyze how that feels and flows in rehearsals and then obviously throughout the first couple of shows you're kind of refining and you finally stumble across that sort of power 35 40 minute set at least that's what the sets were on the the last tour and once that works it just kind of kind of flows and you, you get into that well-oiled machine feel so are you a, a set list guy or is it more like sort of right before the show maybe we'll do this chunk and then this or and then kind of go by your see your pants or uh no i'm definitely a set list guy but if things start feeling boring at some point i will change them up right i mean unfortunately when you have to think so much about prepping sound whether it be what effects are used on what song or what tracks need to be enabled for whatever else you kind of have to predetermine what you're going to play right whereas if everyone was just plugged straight into an amp you'd be like ah, let's play that one you know but i have not ever been in a situation with a band like that you know it's yeah. always had a defined set list now that being said you have a band like Nine Inch Nails that has a million songs and you go into that tour knowing that you're going to need to know a lot of them and the set lists change accordingly. But going along with what I just said in terms of prepping sound, that's why rehearsals for Nine Inch Nails take way longer than any other band that I've played for. There's just a lot that has to be gone through, programmed, prepared, and whatnot. So the live setup for the new regime is not anywhere nearly as complex, but even as a three piece, there's a lot that has to go into making sure a set can flow. Yeah. I had a question submitted from Richard Perez and he was wondering what's the most difficult nine inch nail song to play. I thought that fit here pretty well. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have an answer to that, to be honest with you. Um, and that's not saying that, you know, everything's super easy. And I, I don't feel like anything's been super hard to play. And I've been like, how am I going to make this work? It's just kind of, it's certainly in my, my wheelhouse in terms of skill. So I feel like anything that's that's thrown at me gets gets handled comfortably. But what I will say is that the only time where there's like an extra amount of focus is when there are songs with just bizarre time signatures. I mean, for example, The Collector. It's not yeah. hard to play, but it's definitely something that I'm thinking about because it's constantly going between six and seven. I mean, that's... Or seven and... You know, I, I get them mixed up because The Becoming is the reverse of that. Right. And those are songs where they flow really well, but you definitely don't ever want to lose the one or that will be a world of hurt. So that makes things difficult in that regard. Uh, but in terms of actually playing things, it's just, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So what would your favorite song to play be then? Ah, man, you, you, it changes. Um, obviously March of the Pigs is always fun. I love playing Terrible Lie. 
obviously on the last tour that we did, just the 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 gasp of excitement from the crowd hearing "Perfect Drug" made it worth yes. it. Yes, I was in Detroit for that. <clears throat> that was yeah. awesome. It, yeah, you know, I'm I'm glad you got to see that, but it was just great. I think we sort of premiered it at Red Rocks, and obviously everyone knows it's on the set list. But the second those first notes started, the place lost it. And that's just a cool feeling, you know. And obviously with a band that's that's been around for as long as Nine Inch Nails has been, that's still a, an experience that I've been able to kind of feel from the, the very first time. So that's that was that was really cool. And that song's a lot of fun to play, but even that it's not that it was difficult to play. I just think that for the longest time even before, obviously before I was in the band, which has been, I think, about 12 years now, but even before then, I don't think Trent ever just felt like it sounded right at rehearsals for whatever reason, and this last lineup just got it, and it was a lot of fun. And, it, and it's funny because I've, I've said this a few times before, but people always ask, you know, was it difficult to learn it and this and that, and honestly, it wasn't. I mean, I do feel like sometimes I have a knack for kind of recreating program beats to the live drum set. So it was a lot of fun. It kind of all made a lot of sense to me. But then as soon as all the drums are locked in, Trent comes over and he's like, do you think you can do that high falsetto in the second verse? You can get the harmonies in the pre-chorus. It's like, and then, you know, we get to that whole kind of like drum break thing at the end. And I, I change that up every single night. I mean, with the exception of, the part that is on the recording. I mean, there's this whole kind of chaotic noise section. I just improvised that every single time and then played that bit from the actual track, note for note. But then after that gets locked in, he's like, okay, you think you can run over to the piano after and just kind of finish out the outro for that song? <laughs> sure. So, yeah, because you're, you're not busy enough. So, you know, <laughs> just that's just that honestly, I love that so much about. Uh, being in that band and it it makes live playing just always exciting yeah i was also lucky enough to catch that right here at radio city music hall oh nice yeah yeah that you know I, that show sticks out to me in particular it was incredible
yeah, that was, that was such a, a cool uh, tour doing like doing small venues like that. It was mm. just a really cool thing for uh, Nine Inch Nails fans definitely to take part in. Yeah, and it's cool. I mean, I, I I'm very fortunate in the sense that traveling for me is easy, and I can sleep on buses or planes or anywhere. But it is cool when you are able to stay in a city for three to five days or whatever it may be, as opposed to constantly being on the go. Because I know some people struggle with constantly moving around, but it comes with the territory. Yeah. You said that show stood out to you. What is it about a show for you that stands out? Like what are some, maybe some crazy memories or feelings that you've had on stage? You know, I, I can't always pinpoint it. It's just when a memory pops up, if somebody says something, you kind of get that flash picture in your mind where you just remember something specific. I remember that show very specifically and I don't exactly know why, but it stuck out to me. And, um, I think we played a theater in, in Brooklyn. I want to say maybe the following night or somewhere, but, and you know, I mean, it makes sense. Radio city music hall is definitely a famous place. So I'm sure that's part of the reason why it stuck out. But, People have often mentioned, like, oh, I saw you play at this festival in Europe. And it's like, I remember. It was this year, and this is who was in the band at the time. And, you know, I have a decent memory, but um, there's definitely a colossal blur in between those moments of, of real clarity because you just you do it so many times in so many different places that it's impossible to kind of have distinct memories of all of it. But uh, every now and then, I just have a very clear picture. Yeah, I was I was in New York and that show was sold out and I didn't have tickets. I was staying in Queens, so I was a little ways away, but I I took the subway in, stood out front for an hour, like hoping to get a scalper and I got two tickets like as the line was going in. So it was a great experience. I hope it wasn't terrible, whatever it was charged, but <laughs> I guess as long as you enjoyed it, you know? Well, it, actually, I got a pretty good deal on the tickets because everyone was like already going in. So it was like showtime. Mm. So it was just perfect timing. Well, I'm, I'm glad that worked out for you then. <laughs> Scalpers suck. <laughs> I know, I think, but yeah, they, they definitely do. I think everybody can agree with that. Yeah. But it came, it came in, in handy that night. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, Thank God for the scalpers. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you ever find maybe with nine inch nails that tracks suffer? when you're not behind the kit, like if they just go with the backing tracks? Um, it's, I, I want to say no, but it, it's hard to say because I'm not hearing what everyone's hearing out front. We obviously have our own monitor mixes and I do know that since 2017 with a different uh, front of house guy that we've had, I've heard nothing but great things. Not that there weren't great things about, everybody else who's done front of house for nine inch nails. But what's very peculiar about nine inch nails is nailing the various elements. You know, it's one thing to, let's say you get a guy who primarily does rock front of house. He's going to nail the stuff that is more drums, bass, guitar, vocal, and he may suffer on the electronic stuff. And then you have the, the reverse of that where, Somebody may be great at mixing electronics, but they kind of lose that raw energy and aggression from the other stuff. So I do know that since 2017, our front house guy has gotten nothing but awesome reviews for just being loud 
clear and bringing it across the way it needs to be brought across. Yeah, I can, I can second that motion. <laughs> yeah, same. I was just going to say, like, uh, I think the only times I've seen Nine Inch Nails is 2008, 2013, and then 2018. And mm. <clears throat> I, that was my first show at Radio City, so I wasn't sure. I assumed the sound was going to be on point just because it's so historic there and they must do things right. But uh-huh. for a show that was so loud and so... <laughs> diverse and sounds and dynamic with all the different elements mm-hmm. it was just such precision and just perfect perfect mix i couldn't i had no zero complaints it was perfect and that's great to hear and that's that's what we want to hear and you know the the you've seen nine inch nails with three different sound guys i mean based on the dates that you told me so i have no doubt that obviously every band that you saw brought it but the front of house guy is like the most important thing to bringing what's going on stage to everybody else. I mean, it can't be underestimated, but like I said, it's very difficult because you can't just go, yeah, we sounded great tonight because not a single person on stage has any idea what the PA sounded like. Right. You know, you, you, you can do your best where let's say we have a production rehearsal or a sound check and you go out to the middle of an empty arena and you listen, but even that, is not a good representation because the second you fill it with people, it sounds completely different. So it's live sound is one of the shittiest, most inconsistent things, but you get rave review after rave review. And it's like, yeah, this guy knows what he's doing. He's doing a good job. And you know, I, I hate going to a show and feeling like there's not enough volume. Obviously nobody wants hearing damage, but you want to feel the show. Yeah, you want to, you want to, you want a rock show. You, yeah. you want to feel it for sure. You can comfortably speak to whoever's next to you. That sucks. <laughs> it's not good enough, you know. But my feeling has always been, if it's too loud, you can kind of bring it down, throw earplugs in or something. But if it's too That's low, you, there's nothing you can do. That's true, and it's just underwhelming. It's almost uncomfortable too. It's like you yeah. see people. Often enough, I mean, some people don't look like they put any effort into their performance, but you can see people kind of giving it their all, but you're not feeling it because the sound isn't hitting you. And that's that's unfortunate. But hey, live sound is not easy. Yeah. Is there a band that does that for you? Like they hit that level? Oh, it's tough to say. Um, I mean, every every time I've seen Muse, for example, their shows are just, spot on i mean almost as flawless as they come if not so but i saw them at uh in quebec in mm. front with like a hundred thousand people at that uh festival d'été in quebec mm. yeah and so loud and so powerful it's just an hour of ballad in your face it's crazy yeah. they're crazy yeah. they're i don't know how they do that in stadiums either like it's so precise and like like wembley and stuff like how do you even make yeah. that place sound good they're as on point as they come, and I, you know, actually, they provided me one of the oddest listening experiences because they're the only people I've ever seen perform live in the round. And fortunately, at that point in time, which was the drones tour, the new regime supported uh, two handfuls of dates: a few in Mexico City and a few in Scandinavia. And let me tell you, there's probably nothing more awkward than being a three-piece band in 
opening in the round where you don't have wireless systems or in-ears or anything, and you're in the middle of this island, practically, in the center of an arena, and you just got to go for it and hope for the best. Tons of fun. Um, they're great guys, and that was a great experience. But coming back to what I was originally mentioning this for was watching a show in the round is very weird because it sounds kind of everywhere. It's not like here's the band and they're projecting towards you. It's like the sounds trying to, has to cover everywhere. And it's a really, really bizarre thing. They did a great job. Their production is always beautifully over the top, but um, very bizarre. But uh, I remember seeing Roger Waters, for example, at Staples Center a few years ago, and it sounded great. I was like actually blown away by how good it sounded, but I wish I could have just like pushed the fader up way more and been like, ah, there we go. But what can you do? And I, you know, I don't know if people have any sort of decibel restrictions or any, anything like that, but, uh, it's clear that we can all agree. There's nothing worse than a soft show. Yeah. Yeah. And you've played with Matt Bellamy on before. Have you not? Is that, Am I remembering yeah. that correctly? Yeah. Uh, we uh, played together in this, um, started out as like a Beatles cover band called Jaded Hearts Club. Right. And it's kind of mutated <laughs> and evolved into a bunch of things. But um, but yeah, it's been a while since, since I've done that, but we'll see what the future brings. I mean, I know he's working on Muse stuff right now. Um, yeah. But all, all all fun and some some good memories doing that stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, I had a question from Jason Warlow. He wanted to know if there's any musicians or bands that you think are just on another level. And I that kind of is what we just talked about a little bit with Muse, but I didn't know if maybe a, there was a musician that you wanted to shout out. Uh, it's uh, it's it's a tough question. Because, of course, the answer has to be yes. There are people out there that are on another level. There's no way there aren't. Um, in terms of popular bands with just powerhouse bands, I I really can't can't think of any. And that's my fault. That's me not being knowledgeable enough. But I'd be really hard pressed. Obviously, I'm not going to get through an interview without mentioning Led Zeppelin. But I can't think of a popular band that is that good. And obviously I don't think that'll ever be matched, but to think of a band so popular that is that good in terms of the four musicians in that band, there's certainly nothing, not that I'm comparing anybody to Led Zeppelin, but you just have these calibers of bands where you're like, Oh, everybody in that band is a great player on another side of the spectrum. I mean, the police is a band like that where those three oh. guys were incredible. They've, played phenomenally well every single one I, of them firing I, cylinders. I personally would put the police at that Led Zeppelin level but that's just me <laughs> well, I the, the police are one of my favorites and they um they're, they're they're they were phenomenal but think of a popular band where you have three or four people who are just all fire it it I, I I'd be very hard pressed to think of one in fact, I can't. Yeah. And if you guys can, good on you, and I'll hopefully agree with you. But I think we just named two. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, but but these are bands who have not been around for a very long sure. time. I, I was for fortunate. Sure. Actually, this is crazy bringing both of them up, but I've just been used to everything I've been into not being around anymore, or at least at the very best, not in, in the prime. But especially with the police and Led Zeppelin as, as examples, not being around anymore, I actually got to see them both in the, the same year in 2007. I went to the, the O2 Led Zeppelin show and I saw the police at Dodger Stadium. So at that point in time where I thought there's no way in hell I'm ever going to see these two bands play ever. No. In one year I got to see them both. You know? How old were you when you saw late? Were you like 14 when you saw Zeppelin? Uh, in 2007. I can make a new math. I was probably about 19. 19. Oh, it's 2007. Okay. Yeah. Because I remember when that show was, and I think I'm a couple years older than you, and I was obviously wanted to be there and couldn't make it, but that's awesome that you were able to get there. It's also the only time I've ever gotten choked up watching a band because I I never thought it would happen. But obviously, for me, starting that musical journey and Led Zeppelin obsession so young, that to me was like seeing three of my superheroes in the flesh playing and I never thought I'd see that so it was an amazing experience of course I digress and I can talk about my favorite bands ad nauseum but yeah to think of like a a pop band or a rock band that is number one and just that good at their instruments and that good as a unit I can't think of one unfortunately I think to find a level of talent and synergy like that we'd have to look at um less popular genres, which is also unfortunate. Um, Daniel Thomas wanted to know what you've learned about being a musician or work ethic from Trent and the band. And has he given you any specific advice that you still keep with you? I mean, th- there's no doubt that I've, I've learned things, but I've said before when I stepped in my first nine nationals rehearsal, I was just... I felt like I was in the right place, especially in terms of work ethic and professionalism. Whereas everyone before that, I always felt like everybody was a slacker or unprofessional or lazy. I felt like, oh, finally, I'm in the right kind of organization of of people who know what they're doing. Trent obviously knows what he wants. He knows how to execute. And he he holds that level of professionalism above everything else, that, that execution, the perfection and obviously in terms of a of a band in a live performance that's a, a relative term because so many things can go wrong during a nine inch nails performance and it's still perfect you know whether that's it's right. bro- broken equipment or just making the best out of a situation that turns into something awesome and on the spot but still the intent is always there to execute at a hundred percent. And that was the first time I experienced that. And it was a great relief to finally be in a band like that. And you were just like 20, 21 when you joined. Yeah. I joined when I was 20 because I had my 21st birthday with nails uh, in Paris, July 7th, 2009. That's so crazy. It's funny to hear someone say like, I was finally with someone that was serious and you're, you'd been touring since you were, seven or eight or something well i started playing around seven or eight i was touring 
at around. I mean, I I'd done stints in, in groups of shows, but properly touring by thirteen, fourteen, by fifteen, I was touring too much to actually continue physically going to high school, and I had to get checked into a an accredited high school that child actors and those sorts of people go through so that they can work and get their education at the same time. But uh, yeah, I just I, I graduated with honors early, which was insisted upon by my parents, who were obviously immensely supportive and allowed me to do everything, but I couldn't let one thing fall by the wayside in, in preference of the other. But, and I know it may sound pretentious, being like, oh, I'm finally in a band that's good enough, and it's Nine Inch Nails, and I'm 20. But <laughs> I, I was playing in a good handful of bands of, of varying degrees of success, and there was a common thread of just not taking it seriously enough, and it drove me nuts. And then I finally get the foot in the door with the, the greatest opportunity I had ever had, and this guy takes it more seriously than anybody else. It's like, oh, it's no wonder he's far more successful than the rest. It's, you know, I mean, obviously he's been very fortunate, but what you do with those opportunities is really what, what separates the greats from the, eh. Right. What advice would you give somebody that's younger and maybe has the dream to play music for a living? Take it seriously and realize that nothing is going to get handed to you. And if you are lucky enough to get it handed to you, do not blow it because there's nothing more pitiful than that. It's 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 really rage-inducing for me when I see bands who have not kind of had any sort of struggle or friction in getting to where they've gotten. And as a result of the ease in getting there, they blow it, take it for granted. And there you go. There's another casualty. Not literally, of course, right. but um, maybe <laughs> possibly, I mean, it depends yeah. who we're talking about, but that, that drives me nuts. And I, I have a very sort of distorted view of everything just because I started so young and even though I'm still younger, I've been doing it for a very long time. So the fact that I've been playing music for almost 25 years now is, it's crazy to me, but 25 years is 25 years. And the fact that I've spent 25 years doing the same thing and I'm only 32, I just have this weird perception of how things are, how things should be, um, how things shouldn't be. I mean, everyone has their own perspective. I, I suppose mine's been formed by being at it for so long and also constantly being around people who were much older than me for the longest time. And now I've kind of gotten to the age where people playing in the new regime have been a bit younger than me, and it's 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 an interesting thing. But in dealing with younger people from time to time, I have noticed like, oh man, if only somebody could slap some sense into you. It's like... The realization that talent is in everything is a hard pill for people to swallow. And yep. they sometimes, by the time that lesson is learned, it's far too late. And there's nothing worse, in my opinion, than somebody who has talent and completely destroys it with their godforsaken attitude. It's it's awful. And uh, that's a lesson that you that you have to learn. 
I mean, fortunately, I don't think I ever had a shitty attitude. I was always easy to get along with, but I've seen people who have been very difficult to get along with. And there comes a point where you balance, do I like this person or are they good enough? And more times than not, people will settle on the talent to deal with somebody they enjoy working with more. So hopefully there's a, there's a nugget of wisdom in whatever I just rambled on about to uh, answer your question. A hundred percent. I mean, we all know somebody that's incredibly talented that probably could have maybe done something with it. I mean, I've, I've even worked. Jeez, with... That sounds pretty specific, Chris. <laughs> yeah. I think I may have worked <laughs> with somebody in the early days of playing music anyways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, great lesson. Take music seriously. Get as good as you can at your craft, learn everything you can and don't be a dick. That that's it. <laughs> don't be a dick should be right at the top of the list. There you go. Don't be a dick and then take music very seriously. <laughs> um, and if you're going to be a dick, you better be able to back it up with something phenomenal. Just do it. Do like you do and just do every instrument yourself. <laughs> that's no a it's, a, it's okay. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm allowed to be a dick. Look at this. <laughs> um, Lawrence Leash wants to know, if do you have a signature move? Do you have any drum thing that you love doing? A signature move? Um, I thought that was a wrestling question. <laughs> yeah, do you have a finishing um, move? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, God. I mean, every musician, regardless of the instrument, has, I don't want to call it a bag of tricks because that seems very sort of novelty act, but you have things that you enjoy playing and things that you can just do on command and you know that you will not fail doing them. So to answer your question, nothing specific, but, um, which is your question. You you don't have a a Billy Gibbons, a guitar squeal or something. No, I don't. (laughs) I mean, there's certain bass drum tricks that I always love to use. I mean, bass drum doubles and triplets and that kind of thing. You know, the, 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 the bottom things that have been ingrained in me as a child, but, um, it also really depends on the, the, what you're playing on the, on the band you're playing with, because that stuff may not work with another band. So fortunately I've really been conscious of versatility is a big proponent of what I do, but um, I wouldn't say there's like, this is my, my, my special move or like my mortal combat fatality or something, you know, it's just like, (laughs) I just play the way I play and I play the the best to whatever it is that I'm performing with. So, yeah. yeah. Have you ever been able to cover a Zeppelin song? Like, I know you're a huge fan. Um, Do you guys ever play them live? No. Um, no. I mean, I often do, you know, little guitar nods to Jimmy Page or whatever. Every, every now and then I just, because jamming, for example, without kind of going off on some spinal tap, Jazz Odyssey is something that I do feel is a uh, lost art form, especially in rock music or popular rock music in particular. So I do kind of like tipping my hat to that because it was a very important element of music growing up. And it was something that my dad made me pay attention to. And him and I would jam and improvise, whether it was 
me on drums, him on bass, or me on guitar and him on bass. That element of like, oh, let's just see what happens. That is pretty much gone for music, popular rock music. Of course, there are jazz bands and fusion bands and a lot of people who are great at their instruments and improvise, but I'm talking about this relative world that I'm a part of. So as a guitar player in the new regime, I try to infuse that the most that I can. So if it's kind of elongating a jam section or extending an outro and kind of just going for it and then everybody watches me for the cue to end, that's something that's always exciting to me. I've never covered any Led Zeppelin stuff because the most difficult part in that equation for me is, of course, Robert Plant because you just, you know, that that's it's the most frustrating thing to me about singers is to kind of learn somebody's tricks on an instrument you can do it you're you're not going to sound exactly like them but you can kind of really find you have the tools to get there if you need them but with a voice yeah you have the tools but in you know it's a matter of how you hit the note how you bend the note these are things that you can work on but if you don't have that yeah you're not going to sound like robert plant and even if well, you I mean, like robert plant it's like what the hell are you doing you're not robert plant and Robert Plant doesn't sound like Robert Plant anymore. Robert Plant didn't sound <laughs> Robert Plant from up to nineteen seventy two did not sound like Robert Plant from seventy three and beyond. And that's because right. he was a manly nineteen year old when Led Yes, Zeppelin he was. <laughs> but But that's the thing. It's like oh, I love Freddie Mercury. Am I gonna sound like that? Nope. I wish. But um you know, the voice is a very unique and peculiar instrument obviously and obviously there there are people out there who can kind of resemble and impersonate but impersonating uh, unless we're talking about comedy to me is kind of a not so great word in terms of being descriptive right you know if you hear somebody who's trying to sound like robert plant or trying to sound like freddie mercury it's like why don't you spend time sounding like you sorry you know you know i was speaking generally but you know it's one of those things and and if you're gonna spend the time sounding like that you know just own up to it it's cool yeah exactly yeah yeah there's there's a nobody that doesn't know that what you're doing is like robert plant if i could sound like robert plant i'd be like check this out this is me (laughs) like robert plant and i would just Go for it. But hey, what can you do? So to, to add to that, how, how about uh, like doing a tasteful cover in your own sort of way um, of like maybe one of your favorites? The only stuff I feel like I could probably cover decently. And I'm, I'm honestly not the biggest fan of covers because I, as a listener, am the asshole who says, why would I want to listen to a cover of that great song? I'd rather go listen to that great song. And unless it's like Joe Cocker's cover of With a Little Help from My Friends, which is a phenomenal cover that is... May even be better than the Beatles version. Yes. And as a Beatles fanatic, I will go on record and say that that is... It's a better version. I mean... Yeah. It's a rare occurrence, but it's true. Yeah. And and it's phenomenal. And even his cover of like, She Came Through the Bathroom Window. It's great. And I commend that. But... That is a real rarity. I mean, we can talk about Jimi Hendrix and Bob Dylan, and sure, that's a total recreation, but 
Yeah, so the only thing is a vocalist that I feel I could get away with would have to be the more acoustic side of Led Zeppelin. Like every now and then I'll play That's the Way or Rain Song stuff and and sing cuz it's in a it's in a relaxed register where I don't have to feel like I need to cram my balls into like the tightest <laughs> low-waisted bell bottoms of all time to get there. But <laughs> But uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I will say this though: I love learning songs. I I'm constantly playing through the the Beatles catalog and everything else, and I'm constantly learning from it. So I definitely am a strong believer and advocate of learning other people's material. And um, at some point in the pandemic, I was thinking of like what's a good Beatles song that like, isn't that popular where if I cover, you know, that popular in terms of the Beatles catalog, of course, where if I covered it, it wouldn't be like, Oh, here we go. So I haven't put it out and I, I, I may do so at some point for fun, but I just spent one day learning every instrument, note for note, harmony, note for note of good morning, good morning. And I had, a lot of fun with it. Cause that's also a weird song. I mean, if you break it down in terms of time signature, it's bizarre, but it, it flows and it's so kind of like something that Lennon would have referred to as a throwaway song, but it's not easy and it sounds easy, which is what makes it that much more interesting. But I also had a lot of fun. Just every plugin in pro tools was an Abbey road plugin. So I was like, I'm just going nice. to go for it and ha have, have fun and, just play and play reverb for days <laughs> for days and uh i had a good time with it so I, I i do that sort of thing but i always feel like i would be really bummed if i put out a cover and somebody reacted the way i would react to somebody <laughs> else's cover so right like i it's like if somebody hated it i'd be like i'd be the same way in which case why am i setting myself up for that kind of that right. kind of change but hey it's I'd love to hear it too seriously. Well, and you very well may, cause it's fun, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's that answer. Yeah. Um, Ryan and I were talking earlier about twin peaks. He was going to mention something to you that I wasn't in it. Yeah. What's the story. And, and not, not only that, like Joey Castillo, who I, I love his drumming as well. Yeah. Su super unique, but I, didn't know that he ever did anything with Trent sort of thing. Like it was kind of, it was a shock all around. I don't think I, and I could be wrong. I don't think that he's done anything with Trent in terms of a project or nine inch nails, but there's definitely a decent bond between nine inch nails and Queens, of the stone age dating back definitely. to before my time. I mean, nails and Queens toured together in 2014, but they, also toured together, I think, in 05. Yeah, in 05 with, I think, Death From Above, if I remember correctly. Yeah, kind of in the yeah. With Teeth era. So, obviously, the, the ties are very easy to see, but the reason I wasn't there, which is a quintessential, I wish I could be at two places at once, but I was on tour with the New Regime in Europe at the time, and I was like, ah. That makes sense. Ever since I, I saw that episode, I was like, uh, curious, on because it was such a, a, a sort of mishmash of sort of Trent's friends in, in there. Yeah. But I was like, yeah, but it wasn't, it wasn't the band really. Like it just a couple members. It's one thing to like be in nine inch nails, but also be in the nine inch nails. That's, that's yeah. Tough, man. 
Um, I just have a couple more questions that were sent in. I'll just rapid fire them at you. Hit me. What is your favorite cheese? Excellent question. (laughs) I actually am a fan of cheese. Um, I don't get into the super blue territory. Like I kind of draw the line at Humboldt Fog, which is delicious. But um, that's a tough question, man. (laughs) (laughs) Going back to the beginning of our conversation, what's your favorite effects pedal? It's like, uh, I don't know. I love them. Um, I'm all over the place, though. I like Manchego. I like Brie. I like Humboldt Fog. You know, going to more neutral cheeses, you know, something like Munster's delicious, but different kinds of mature cheddars are fun. I'm all over the place. That's a difficult question. That's not fair. That's, that's, the, that's the effect pedals question to continue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jesus, like the effects pedals. Yeah, it's the, the effects pedals of the uh, gourmet eating. <laughs> that, that was from Paul Coates. I'll eat I some got... baby bells and drink cheese too. I don't care. You know, it's all delicious. <laughs> That's your DS1. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Robert The two streamer of cheese. Sorry. Sorry, what? <laughs> the two streamer of cheese. But continue. Sorry. Uh, Robert Sacramento so transparent. wants to know favorite pizza topping. Pepperoni. Damn. No hesitation whatsoever. Cheese. <laughs> cheese. <laughs> yes, cheese. A variety of cheeses. Effects pedals. <laughs> yeah. By the way, for anybody who's like, uh, Tube Screamer is not a DS1. I know it's a boss pedal, but I just, the Tube Screamer is like that cliche, like, got a Tube Screamer. Yeah. I get that transparent <laughs> overdrive, bro. Yeah. You know, I want to watch that uh, reverb movie that just came out. Me too. I haven't watched it yet. I, uh,. I'm a huge fan of that company and the people who work there, at least the ones who I know. But I was seeing a lot of fun stuff about their their first feature film about effects pedals. Yeah, they just, so, I think it's called The Pedal Movie, if I'm not mistaken. That might be something to torture my wife with later. We'll see. <laughs> you know? Good thing. Hey, I got this great movie we're going to watch. It's about effects pedals. <laughs> <laughs> a couple comments. Oliver Mikulowski says, love his hair and his headbanging style on Hurt. So now you may pass on that compliment if necessary. I'm headbanging on Hurt? Yeah, he said he loves your hair and headbanging style on Hurt. It must be like the last 10 seconds of the song where I'm actually playing. But that's cool. I'm going to remember that next time it happens. I'm like, this is my moment. That's my secret <laughs> move. It's the hair. That's, that's your signature move. Right. Yeah, we've, we've solved it. <laughs> Finally. Continue. And Geraldine Gorolichik says, congratulations on your wedding. Uh, we've met before. You're a great guy. You deserve all the respect in the world with your abundance of talent. You rock. I thoroughly appreciate that. Thank you very much. Good, sir. We're going to, uh, we can end on that. Uh, any tour plans with New Regime or Nine Shales? I wish. Nothing plans. Nothing started up yet? Um, there have been rumblings about things. New regime stuff and whatnot, uh, but it's very difficult to say. Obviously, everyone's optimistic and everyone has all fingers crossed, all toes crossed. But you kind of uh, just have to roll with the punches. You can't really, you can't bank on it the way you used to. Where it's like these are the dates they're gonna happen. Now it's like these are the dates, but 
I'll, I'll believe it when I'm actually there playing, you know. But um, for what it's worth, I just I actually got my second vaccine on Tuesday, so I've come out of that sort of feeling like garbage for, for a day or two. So you know, if, I just feel like okay, that's a, that's a step in the right direction of being able to get back to that sense of of normality. But um, I'm hoping everything happens. I know every band and every friend in bands that I have is everyone's kind of looking for the fall. But really what I've seen is a lot of people announcing stuff for next year, which I know it'll fly by because time always does in in a scary fashion. But I hope it's sooner than next year. I concur. Yeah. Wholeheartedly. Yeah. So let's (laughs) hope. We're all hoping. We'll all join yeah. hands and, and pray to the gods. Yeah, for sure. Pray to the pray to the Led Zeppelins. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So well, yeah, anything else? When it happens, I will be in touch, and I hope to meet you in person someday. And absolutely, that great. Normal. That would be great. Thank you for being so generous with your time. My Cheers, Thank, Thanks for doing this, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys, and. Have a good one, and I'm sure we'll we'll speak again. For sure. Cheers. Thank you. All right. Take care. <laughs>